5. Ephesians chapter 5. Lord willing, next week I'm going to speak about our motive for living. Uh, But today I want to speak about the manner in which we live. And uh, as we'll see in just a few moments, that manner in which we live is described in the phrase, unto Christ. That speaks about uh, how we do what we do. And not only are we to do it for the Lord, as, as we'll consider next week, we're to do it as unto the Lord. And so the, the manner in which we do things matters. And that's what I want you to see today. An old writer from years ago, John Stott, said, As Christian people, we are to set Christ always before us to keep him constantly in our minds and before our eyes. Our life is to be directed towards him. Our ambition is to please, to serve, and to obey him. And our supreme concern is that in all things he may be glorified. That's about as well as anyone could ever sum it up. And this chapter begins by saying basically the same thing in much fewer words where Paul says, verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Followers of God as dear children. And... uh, to use the preposition as we've been doing in regards to Christ, unto, to live for Christ, we must live like Christ. We are to be imitators of his example, as it were. So this morning, I want you to think about living unto Christ. And the first thing I want you to consider And this gets right down to where the rubber meets the road and as practical as anything could be. And that's the fact that this affects every relationship in life. If you're familiar with the book of Ephesians as well as the book of Romans, the first half of it deals with the matter of doctrine, the things that we believe, whereas the second half, has to do with our duty, that is our responsibility, how we behave. And that's what we see here. As Paul speaks here in chapter number 5 about the relationships that we have in life. And notice in verse number 22, I said this affects every relationship in life. And it starts at home. Notice in verse 22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, he doesn't stop there because he's dealing with the matter of the family. And so it's not just uh, something that he is picking on the women here, but rather he moves right on and says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything husbands. Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And so... 
we see here that Paul is acknowledging the fact that when we live unto Christ, when we do what we should, as we should, for the right reason, it involves every area of our life. And as, as you look on, you'll see that he doesn't just stop with the wives and the husbands. He speaks about the parents and the children and the servants and so forth. And so it's not just in the home, and God knows that that the home needs help today. And in those few verses I just read, that would solve a multitude of problems in the home. And remember, as the home goes, so goes everything else. We can't have a strong church without having strong families. We can't have a strong nation without having strong families. And all of this gets down to the bare-bone facts and the needs of a family And that's a man's love for his wife and the wife's respect for her husband. If those two things are not there, all else is going to fail. But it's not just something that fixes the problem at home. It also affects our relationship when it comes to the job. Look in chapter 6 and verse 5. Now Paul says, servants... Now, the word servants there is not as we think of a servant today as a hired hand, but it's even much more than that. The word that would be used today would be slaves. These are people that were enslaved to their masters. These are the people that were not only dependent but responsible to their masters in absolutely everything. You might say they had no life of their own. They got up when they were told to get up. They did what they were told to do. They worked as long as they were required to work and so that everything was dictated by their masters. And so notice he says, Servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service, that is not just when they're looking, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether whether he be bond or free. Now notice he doesn't stop there. And he says, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, and neither is there respect of persons with him. So here Paul is speaking about uh, not only the, the servants, but the masters. Today we think about uh, the employees and the employers and their responsibilities to God and how they are required of the Lord to treat one another as unto Christ. Most of us, when we think about, you know, uh, getting up on on Monday morning, and I, I realize that being a pastor, you don't always have to get up the same time somebody else does. As Brother Kenneth can tell you, there's sometimes you've already been up all night because you're at the hospital with the family or something like that. So it's entirely different. But most people don't think of, uh, you know, Monday morning as being a grand time 
in, in that part of the week. You drag out of bed and it's off to work you go and, and sometimes you don't like the job that you have to do. It's sad that in schools today, in a lot of schools today, a lot of the teachers today, and this has been going on for years now, tell the children to find a job that you like. If you don't like a job, don't take it. That's the biggest bunch of nonsense I ever heard in my life. Amen. Sometimes you have to do what you got to do in order to support yourself and support others, whether you like it or not. You might not like the job. You might not work like the person that you work for. And yet, as Christians, we are required to do what we do as unto Christ. Just as if we were doing it for Him, we're to do that unto others. Can you imagine what a change that would make in the workforce and in the family if we all treated one another in that manner? But then it also gets right down to the matter of the Lord's church. And Paul deals with that in Romans chapter number 14. And there he's speaking about them dealing with their differences and dealing with their duties, the responsibilities, how to work together in spite of all of the differences that you might have. And by the way, folks, there will always be differences of opinion in any church. We'll never all agree on everything. And it's how we deal with those issues that really matter, and it affects the church. And so he begins in verse 1 by saying, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, and another is weak eateth herbs. And he goes on dealing with these issues, but then in verse 8 he sums it up. He says, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Notice, whether we live, what? We live unto the Lord. We are to do what we do and to treat one another with dignity and respect and treat one another as though we were doing it unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Some years ago, a man by the name of Charles Shelton wrote, one of the most famous popular books ever, and I believe every Christian ought to read it. It's called In His Steps. It speaks about a community of people who decided that they would get together and that they would uh, do what Jesus would do. And naturally from that, the WWJD, people decided they'd make bracelets out of that and things of that nature and, 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 you know, and just make money off of the deal. That's not what God intended. We're to do what Jesus would do as Jesus would do it. And it speaks about that community and the problems that you encounter. Think about it. You decide that you're going to treat one another just as though that person were the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about conversing with that person and you picture him standing between you and that other person. Boy, that'll change the tone of your voice, won't it? Thinking about him standing there and whatever you say to them on the other side has to go through him. And that's really the way it is. And the book speaks about the difficulties that they encountered as a result of that, just as you might suspect. The problems that are common to all people. 
And the great need for us to have the attitude that I am going to do what Jesus would do. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the manner in which we live, what we do. And we are to do what Jesus would do. We are to do what we would do if we were conversing with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't have a wrong relationship with the Christ and a right relationship with each other. And it's only when we live unto Christ that we can do what we should do toward other people. Most of the divisions in churches are created, they're petty issues created many times by personality clashes, things that hinder our happiness in God's work. And we could avoid all of that if we just lived unto the Lord, if we gave the other person the freedom to do the same thing. Wouldn't that be great? Because usually whenever someone is in a, in a debate with someone else, the issue has to do with their belief as opposed to the other person's belief. And consequently, you know, both parties end up acting as though they were the only one that was right. And there is a huge difference between our preferences and the precepts of God's Word. Have all the preferences you want. But boy, when it gets down to the precepts of God's Word and the principles of God's Word, that's another issue. There's no room for leeway, no wiggle worm then. I mean, it's just, it is what he says it is, and that's what he demands. It'd be great if every Christian could see the importance of the Lord's church. And as time passes by, I've been doing this now for 54 years, and I can tell you over the years, I've noticed a decrease a decrease of concern for the Lord's church. I didn't say a decrease in the interest of religion. I didn't say that. And I didn't even say that there is a decrease in church attendance. I didn't say that, although that is true. What I said, there is a decrease of concern for the Lord's church because a lot of folks have this attitude that just one church is just as good as another one. It doesn't make any difference what you believe as long as you're sincere in your beliefs. That's all that really matters. The fact of the matter is the average church member in the world today has no idea what constitutes a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about being a Bible-believing Baptist church, you know, and there are certain distinctives that set us apart and things that we ought to insist upon. And if we can ever discover and realize the importance of the Lord's church, it will make us determine that we're going to live as unto Christ. I think Paul really summed it all up best when he says here in Ephesians 3, verse 21, Unto him... That's Christ. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And for that to happen, the the members of the church must relate to one another as unto Christ. It's a dangerous thing for us to treat one another as though we are unimportant or to treat one another as though we are better than they. We're to treat one another as unto Christ. Whatever we do, the manner in which we live ought to be Christ-like. 
And that's, the, that's what God has established as the standard by which we live. But not only, not only does this living unto Christ affect us in every relationship, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll see that it affords joy in our menial task. In the common everyday things, things that normally we wouldn't enjoy, things that we wouldn't volunteer for, and yet even in those things that most people consider as heavy burdens, we find that for the Christian living unto Christ, that even that becomes something joyful. And Paul says in verse number 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now here it is. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him. I underline that in my Bible, unto him, which died for them and rose again. Last week I talked about the great difficulties that Paul had encountered, and I read several verses of Scripture talking about the difficulties that he had gone through as a result of serving the Lord. Serving God didn't eliminate all of his pain and all of his problems. In fact, it added to the problems and the pain and the suffering that he had to endure. And the reason that Paul could joyfully endure all of those hardships is because he was doing everything as unto the Lord. And that always makes a huge difference in our life. Whenever we're doing it unto the Lord, we're not doing it for others, we're not doing it for self, we're doing it as unto the Lord. And consequently, that makes us not only holy, but happy. A famous preacher in years gone by by the name of Samuel Chadwick talked about how his life had been greatly affected by listening when he was a young man to a preacher, and the preacher made a comment during the course of the sermon. He said, if I were a shoe black, that's, we'd call him a shoe shiner today, he said, I'd be the best shiner of boots in the village because I would clean them as as though I were cleaning them for the Lord Jesus Christ. That really impressed young Chadwick, who became the famous preacher. And it impressed him because that happened to be his job in the family. His job was to shine his daddy's boots. And he wrote this. He said, I hated to clean boots, especially Father's Wellington's. Sunday was a wet day, and boot cleaning the next morning was at its worst. I began with the Wellingtons on the principle that the irksome part of a task is best tackled at once. <laughs> I'm not always convinced of that. My wife will tell you. I had to get that in there because she might tell you. He said, I got through and put them down with a sense of relief. Then as I looked at them, the preacher's words about shining boots as if Jesus Christ were going to wear them challenged me. I wondered if these Wellingtons would look well on the feet of Jesus. I took up the boots and began again. It was a simple thing to do. Now, listen to this. He said, but I believe it was the most important thing I ever did. 
I got into the habit of doing the simplest duties as unto and for Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be good if we would all develop a habit like that of saying that, you know, normally I wouldn't like to do this, but I'm going to do my very best. That's the way my, my mama tried to teach me. And I, I think I've heard her say a thousand times, good, better, best, never let them rest till you're good is your better and your better is your best. I wish I had listened to that when I was a young man, but now I look back and realize she was absolutely right. That's the way it ought to be. That's the attitude that we Christians ought to have. Good, better, and best. Don't get stuck back there on the good. Don't just do your better. Do your very best. And when a person has that attitude, it makes drudgery delightful. The things that are boring suddenly become a blessing. That which is secular becomes sacred. The menial task, well, now there's something magnificent. Because we're not just doing it for somebody else. We're doing it as, as unto the Lord. And that gives us great joy in, 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 in noticing that God is pleased with us doing the common simple things of life. Some folks have the attitude, well, if I'm not a preacher or a missionary, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, or a deacon, I'm just really a big nobody. No, let me tell you, you are somebody. You might be a housewife. Amen. But I tell you, if you'll tackle that job as though you're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll put sunshine in the soap suds and it'll make you happy and you'll go through your day rejoicing because now you have a different attitude about what you're doing and that applies for every area of our life, whatever it is that we do. Somebody says, well, I'm just so bored to hear with the job that I've got. I'm stuck on a dead-end job. I don't know how to get ahead. I don't like it. I didn't like it when I took it. I don't like it now. I don't know how to get out of it. Well, I'll tell you how to endure it. Just believe with all of your heart that God has you there for a reason and maybe just for a season until you learn the lesson to be content where you are and to take that as a part of God's plan and do it as though you were doing it unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when that happens, life takes on a new meaning. We're looking at everything from a different perspective because now we're living only to please the Lord and we are pleased as a result of that. You want to please yourself if you're a Christian? Do that which is pleasing to God. You see, for the Christian, all ground is holy ground. It's all holy ground. Everything we do, those so-called little things are big things. They're gigantic. They're important because everything we do, we are to do as unto the Lord. There's an old, old hymn. It says, teach me, my God and King, in all things thee to see, and what I do in everything to do it as for thee. Wow, what a great message. It affords joy in the many old tasks of life. But beyond that, we see that it accumulates great rewards on behalf of the faithful person, the person that determines that that I know it's difficult, I know I can't do it on my own, 
I know there's not going to be anybody to pat me on the back, nobody to prop me up when I'm discouraged, nobody there to help me in my time of need. But by the grace of God and with the help of God's Spirit, I'm going to determine with His help that I'm going to live my life doing everything as though I were doing it unto the Lord. And let me tell you, your work is not in vain because there's a payday someday and it will accumulate a great reward. It does so now. I've often said, were there no heaven and no hell? In other words, if, 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 if the Christian life, it just started and ended while we're here on earth, it would still be the greatest, most wonderful life that anybody could possibly live. And if you live only to please yourself, let me tell you, you'll always be disappointed. But if you're truly living to please Christ, you'll be delighted. Selfish people are never satisfied. It doesn't make any difference how much they've got. They always want a little bit more. They're never satisfied because the only way to find true satisfaction is to fulfill our God-given purpose in life. That's why Paul described God's plan in Romans 6.18. He said, Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And then he said in 1 Corinthians 9, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself. Nobody forced me. I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Paul is simply telling us that his great love for Christ, his great concern for others, compelled him to enslave himself in order that he might win others to Christ. I wonder, are we willing to do that? To become a servant in the sense that we do everything as unto Christ, a servant toward our neighbors, our employers, or whoever it might be, to treat them as though we would treat Christ himself. Are we willing to do that for the sake of being able to win them to Christ? Christ cared enough that he died on the cross. Surely we ought to care enough to live our life the best that we possibly can. I think about Paul and what he said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 11. He said, I've learned, this didn't come natural. He said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. doesn't make any difference where I am. doesn't make any difference whether I'm hungry. doesn't make any difference if I'm full, if I've got little or if I've got a lot. The circumstances make no difference, Paul is telling us. I've learned to be content. That was important because that's what the Bible requires. The Bible demands that we be content. So the question is, just how contented are you? Really? Think about that for a little while. How contented are you? And contentment, satisfaction always comes as a result of you and I fulfilling our God-given purpose. And what is that? Well, it's where we started, being followers of God as his dear children, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be surprised how many people are absolutely miserable because they're simply not ministering to the needs of others. 
They don't have time for that, and they're miserable. I wonder, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, how many of you have taken care of a, a parent, maybe? Your father, your mother, when they're old, they're getting ready to die, and it was a matter of, you know, putting them in a nursing home, taking care of them, or putting them in a nursing home, taking care of them that way. Boy, let me tell you, that's a tough job. I told Bev just this last week, she spent five years of her life while we were here in Texas basically taking care of her mother, ministering to the needs of her mother. And it required her to, you know, get up and to be there at all hours of the night and whenever she would call and whenever a need w- would arise and we moved her down here in next door and all of that time. My sister did the same with my with my daddy and my mother. She helped take care of them. And I never heard them complain about the things they had to do. Let me tell you, Sometimes the things you have to do by way of caring for others can be very unpleasant. And yet there is a sense of satisfaction when you know that this is the life that God wants me to live. And there's something magnificent about that, just knowing that in this simple task that I'm doing something that is pleasing to the Lord and that pleases me. But the selfish person whose intent is just gratifying the flesh, they are never satisfied because their only concern is for self and in their mad pursuit they rob themselves of the reward that they could have enjoyed. I don't know of anybody that was more content, more happy than the Apostle Paul. And yet I don't know anyone who was ever required to do more and to suffer more than Paul did. And so those two things can go together. He proved that. And if it worked for him, it'll work for us. It pays. It accumulates great reward whenever we deal with others as unto Christ. But not not just here and now, the reward is also later I love what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 25 and here he's dealing with the end time the judgment whenever we'll stand before the Lord he talks about those that are on his left hand those goats that will be cast out he talks about the sheep God's people on his right hand And he says in verse 33, And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now listen carefully. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me, I was in prison, and you came unto me. And then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee? Or when when did we see you thirsty and give thee drink? And when saw thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? And when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? Lord, we don't understand it. 
You're commending us for this. You're rewarding us for this. I don't understand it, Lord. It's not what I did. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Wow. Wow. Let me tell you, every Christian here has been called to the mission field and you're standing in the middle of it and God expects us to be active in His service and it pays off now and it pays off later. When Paul tried to encourage the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, And I love the way he puts all of this together. He's been talking about the resurrection and the time that we have to look forward to, being reunited with Christ. But then all of a sudden it seems that he he switches horses in the middle of the river and he just stops what he's doing and he says, Therefore, based on all of that, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That is, whatever you do, as unto Christ, it's never in vain. Now turn your Bibles to Colossians 3. Some way we keep ending up in this chapter where it all started. Christ is all, verse 11 But verse 23 says, And whatsoever ye do, that would cover everything, right? Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not not unto men. And here it is. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Notice each phrase there, whatsoever ye do. That covers everything, but it raises three questions. What should you be doing? Secondly, what are you doing? And how are you doing it? Whatsoever ye do. We shouldn't ever have to wonder about what we ought to be doing. Somebody says, well, if I just knew what the Lord wanted me to do, I'd sure do it. Well, go out here and be a blessing to somebody. That's a good starting point. Treat them as unto Christ. Whatsoever ye do, notice, do it heartily. God despises half-heartedness. In fact, the only thing acceptable to God is what we do with our whole heart. That's why some folks are wasting their lives. If I preach with anything less than all of my heart, there's no reward in it for me. If you give with anything less than all of your heart, whatever the amount, doing it with all of your heart is the determining factor as to whether God's going to accept it or not. I'd love to be able to sing like Brother Willie. I'd, I'd love to be able to sing like just about anybody when you're as bad as I am. You know, anything's an improvement. But, but I, I, I don't have that ability. God didn't give it to me. But imagine someone being able to sing that well and the Lord, and the Lord say, I didn't like it. 
In fact, I'm not even going to accept it. But Lord, I, I was singing about your greatness and your glory. I was thinking about your goodness, Lord. Why not? Because it was half-hearted. Half-hearted. Read Malachi chapter number 1 and you see exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, you can assemble the Levitical choir and you can have the finest preaching in all of the land and you can do all of the right things, but if we don't do it with all of our heart, God says, I don't want any of it. It's all a waste of time. That's the precept, notice. But then in verse 24 is the promise. And whatsoever you do, notice whatever it is, if we do it with all of our heart, we know that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. And here's the reason. For ye serve the Lord Christ. What you do in life depends upon whether or not you believe that promise. I mean, if you don't believe that, you're going to walk out of here thinking, well, there's no big benefit for me, no reward for me. Why should I waste my time on being so nice to people that are so nasty? To be good to people that are not good back to me. To love those who are unlovely. Why should I do that? Well, because it's not a waste of time, folks. You have God's promise that it'll bring you satisfaction now and it'll bring you great reward later on. And if you really believe what God says, it'll make a difference in the way that you live. Those who do everything as unto Christ are the happiest people on earth because they know that it's not in vain. Aren't you glad for a great opportunity like that? But you know, the more I look at this and I see over and over again in the different relationships, the different responsibilities that we have, and I know very well exactly what God's expecting from me. We're to be followers of Christ. And we do so by, by relating to others as unto Christ. I don't have a problem understanding that. It's all very simple. But boy, I have a terribly difficult time whenever it comes to the doing part because I'm at least smart enough to know I, I can't do that on my own. I'm going to fall flat on my face. I'm going to fail. The good news is God doesn't expect you to do it all on your own. He has given the Holy Spirit to help you. He's our helper. The one called alongside to help us with those responsibilities. Let me tell you, he never fails. And that's why he, he tells us there in, in, in Ephesians 5.18, Be ye filled with the Spirit. I'm glad that God provides a means whereby I can do what he demands in my life. That's true of every Christian. But how sad it is to think about those that know not Christ as their Savior. Here they have the perfect law of God staring them in the face, condemning them because none of us have ever been able to live up to the standard of God's law. We all fail at that. 
But it was never the intent of the law to save us. It was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ because the law brings us face to face with the fact that I am a failure. I can't live up to that standard. And I'll tell you, regardless of how hard you try, you'll never be able to do it until you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you do that, you can say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Hallelujah, what a Savior who can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the miry clay and set him free. I'll forever sing the story, singing glory, 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 hallelujah. Jesus lifted me and he'll lift you today. Let's all stand, Father. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be honest enough about our life that we will admit where we fail. Help us to be humble enough, Lord, to stop just trying on our own to obey your word and to live dependent upon your Holy Spirit. And I pray today that you might fill every Christian with your spirit that we'll leave here under his control and living only for your glory. And Lord, for that person might be a a child or a man or a woman i don't know whoever it is today here they are trying to struggle their way through life they've looked everywhere for satisfaction they'd like to be content but they're not they're miserable and i just pray today that you'll help them to see that only in the lord jesus christ can they find what they're looking for that he can give them a peace that passeth all understanding and joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. And may they trust him as their Lord and their Savior this morning. For we beg it in his precious name. Amen. Now as we stand.